Now will you stand on the foredeck and prepare to heave the lead. Five o'clock. Actually, if you were heaving the lead, you'd be in the aprons. Hmm. Port the starboard aprons. <sighs> Used right up until the end of the liners, actually, for uh, way on, if you remember. Uh, not actually for getting depth, but uh, for reporting to the bridge that way was on the ship. Uh, when Biggins were coming in to moorings and uh, to docking, it was essential that uh, the bridge knew if the ship was moving or not, and in which direction. Which, funnily enough, wasn't easy with a big ship, so leadsmen were still used. Right, here's the rest of the news. One past five the time. And of course, that's the voice we woke to on 3LO, five days a week, 48 weeks a year, since January 1966. In that year, Peter Evans hosted a program called Get Up and Go. It became The Breakfast Show in 1967, and as time went by, Peter's particular style of presentation attracted listeners living right up and down the coast of Australia. This is one of the earliest readings we have, from 1970, when the Peter Evans Breakfast Show was heard from Queensland to Tasmania. Morning everyone, welcome to the ABC Breakfast Show. Tuesday morning, 19th of May 1970, and uh, if you were with us before the news, you'll know that uh, I got me goggles and ogle boxes mixed up. Never mind, we've sorted them out, and... Uh, Put them in the right drawers. I beg your pardon, it's one minute past seven. Oh, here's the um, weather information supplied by the Bureau this morning. Canberra mostly sunny, 54 degrees, the maximum forecast. Sydney mostly sunny, 64. Did I say 54 for Canberra or 64? I better do it again. Canberra mostly sunny, 54, and Sydney mostly sunny, 64. Melbourne cool and cloudy, 60. Brisbane fine, 74, Adelaide a few showers, 62, and Perth fine, 74. Hobart mostly fine, 56, Darwin fine, 89. Ten and a half past seven the time, and uh, <laughs> is uh, Dean Martin talking to his chooks. <coughs> At least, um, that's what he's supposed to be doing. But to tell you the honest-to-goodness truth... Oh, why should I start that now? Ten and a half past seven. Talking about being back, we hope most of you others are. If you're not, you won't hear this, so it won't make a bit of difference, will it? ABC Breakfast Show. Evans at half cock. Very much so this morning. Tuesday morn, 19th of May. Welcome back, uh, the rest of you coming in somewhere there. Nice to have your company on this uh, Tuesday morning. <laughs> well, I don't know, you call this the bottom of the barrel if you like. It's about a ghost. 
and the report comes from AAP London. A ghost which wanders about a house is making its present felt by slapping bottoms. The ghost loves to smack bottoms and it hurts, says Mr George Meyer, an investment analyst. It slapped mine while I was shaving in the bathroom and two days later it hit my wife hard on the bottom while she was working in the kitchen. A ghost, eh? Hmm. Looking further on into the situation, I see that the old house where uh, Mr. Meyer, Mr. and Mrs. Meyer lives, where the ghost wanders around, the old house was once a stable. Mr. Meyer thinks that the ghost may be that of a stable lad who used to slap the horses on the bottom, and therefore this strange phenomenon. The only thing is, uh, I'm told, uh, Mrs. Meyer's a bit worried because her withers and flanks are black and blue. Twenty-five past seven... ABC Breakfast Show, Tuesday morn, 19th of May, 1970, and it's time for Smocker. It's 25 past seven. In 1972, change certainly was on the way, and it wasn't just the weather information. A year after this recording, other states started their own breakfast show, leaving our Pete to entertain Victorian audiences. Here's the weather information. This may or may not be good news for you. Canberra windy with showers, 48 or 8. Sydney windy, sunny period, 65 or 18. Melbourne cold, squally winds and showers, low 50s, 11 Celsius. Brisbane fine, 75 or 23. Adelaide showers, 56 or 13. Perth fine, 61 or 16. Hobart showers 50 or 10 and Darwin will have a fine day with a top of 85 so, um, Fahrenheit or 29 Celsius. It's 24 to 8. A gentleman rang um, from uh, the entertainment world of yesteryear I'd imagine. 50 years ago he travelled all the way from Glasgow to London with the Boswell sisters. Safety in numbers, sir. Connie, of course, became the famous one and Martha and Vet were the other two. Vet, he thought, might be a nickname. Not quite sure, but anyway, Martha was one and Vet was the other. Famous Boswell sisters. Connie, Martha, Vet. Twenty-three and a half minutes to eight. I've never known that, and I've always wanted to know, so thank you very much indeed for the info. Hmm. The next time I'm up in Siddeley, oh, oh. <coughs> adventures galore. I had an offer to clean the bath, too, but it was... Uh, Rather a long way off. Here's Peggy Lee. It's 23 to 8. Oh, you lovely lot. Having a look at Bessie's horrible scope, and she is, of course, thousands of miles away. And uh, she has to elevate, eh? Elevate her self-esteem. Well, I rang her up the other day, and she's a bit down the dumps, and I said, uh, you better elevate your self-esteem. And she said, I will, cross my heart. And I said, no, don't do that. 17 and a half past seven. Well, we have a little filler in for you this morning, girls and boys. Alice in Wonderland having finished. And Smocker not quite back from his holidays. He's still on the way. We had a telegram only a few minutes ago saying, I'm uh, coming back. <coughs> Nasty neighbour Norton will be pleased. We have lobsters and things this morning. Sort of crazed, you nippers that don't know them. Oh, nippers on <laughs> lobsters. Ha! <coughs> mm. It's 27 past 7. 
Although he was no longer broadcasting to Brisbane, Sydney or Hobart, Peter continued to attract more and more listeners in Melbourne with his stories. The year was 1974. Now then, to my interesting letter. Morning, first of all. P. Evans with breakfast here. And the interesting letter is about the pips. This fellow writing from Q, a very nice chappy, says, I don't know why I didn't write years ago. Possibly that's the answer. Uh, something rather, rather, rather. Question. I won't give you away. It's all right, Mr. So-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, when I say, meaning me, when you say it's 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock or 9 or 10 or whatever, is it it when you say it, uh, uh, i.e. dead right, spot on, or is it 7 o'clock heralded by the pips? If the pips, is it the first one or the last one? He suspects the last one. Sir, your suspicion is right. It is the last one. Then he goes on to say, um, for years I have been pondering this... Bl well, you can't say that word. This uh, blank question, and it intrigued me. Forty years ago, I decided to ask, and now I'm writing to you, Pete. Thank you, mate. And incidentally, the cheque will come in very handy. <clears throat> it's uh, the last piff, of course. And uh, that's given everyone the pip. Oh, by the way, when I say it's seven o'clock, there's still a slight doubt about it, so I'll just give you that for a tip. It's two minutes past seven. Hey, the rose of fishermen was always whistling such a merry call. Girls who were passing by would hear him whistling by the harbour ball. But his sweetheart Nina, who loved him true, always knew that his song belonged to her alone. And in the evening when the lights were gleaming and they had to part, as he set his boat away, echoing across the bay, Came the tune that lingered in her heart But days of dreaming quickly passed And life was rushing on And one day from the harbour wall She found his boat had gone He sailed away to find the gold The sea could never bring To buy a dress, a cuckoo clock A saucepan and a ring She kept her eyes on the blue Her eyes on the body she stopped her sighing and left off crying, but he didn't return. One day her father said to her, oh dearest daughter mine, you never make a lot from fish, you make much more from wine. Miguel is a rather pet, his vineyard's doing well. So marry him and let your dreams of Pedro go to. <clears throat> the organ peals, the choir boys sing. The priest is ready with a book and ring. So small and white, here comes the bride and stands by Swazi. Will you have this man to be your lawful spouse eternally? 
and suddenly the church is still. They wait to hear her say, I will, when through the open door we there, a far off sound disturbs the air. Suddenly she found her man from the church out the ran. There he was upon the harbor wall. Down rushed the wedding guests upon the quayside, but the bride had gone. As with love he said away, echoing across the bay, came the happy ending. Oh, it should be done away with, I suppose, if orders are orders. If orders come from on high that I have to scrap it, I'll ignore it. I'll have to do it, of course, but um, if I can get away with a little record occasionally and some kids' birthdays, I'll try and sneak them in. But don't tell the big boss, because... Uh, um, um, I think we're supposed to, to end uh, the kids' spot officially. Well, because uh, kids are all grown up now, you see. That's right. They're all on XY. It's uh, 24 past seven the time. Uh, well, you've got to have a second string, haven't you? I have to keep in with Jeff McCombs, too. This, um, this, uh, this other business I was talking about this morning about uh, money, about money. Money and women, they go together, you know. Morning, Jeff. It's 16 and a half to wait the time. Jeff Mack, an old mate of mine. Asked him for a job once, and, uh, well, you never know when you need your friends again, do you? It's 16 to wait the time, and <laughs> railways, flights, and polydesire. All interstate trains are on time this morning. All overseas flights are on time this morning. Uh, we're having some good news from Spencer Street and Tuller, aren't we? Uh, please ring Tuller Marine before you pop out there, incidentally, otherwise you might have a long wait. You're going to have a long enough wait anyway if your friends are going through customs and immigration. Uh, it's um, 19 to 7, and we used to do awful things like... Um, while shepherds washed their socks by night or seated on the ground... Do you remember that one? And the, what was the other one? Um, there was... Um, Something about Matthew, Mark, Luke and John went to bed with their trousers on, which was considered very rude at the time. And uh, what was the other? Oh, no. No ale, that's right. No ale, no beer, no stout, sold out. <whistles> Still, it was all good, clean fun. And we were only six at the time, let's face it. And uh, they used to give us six of the best. Right on the bot when discovered singing parodies of Christmas carols. But I, I think my favourite was when shepherds washed their socks by night all seated on the ground. It went on. There was some, there were some good verses after that. All, all very juvenile and 18 to 7. Well, of course, that style of broadcasting ended in April 1985 when Peter suffered a heart attack. He didn't return to the microphone before his death on the 18th of July 1985. But on this tape, we'll bring together some of the classic moments of Peter's breakfast show. And to help explain it, the Evans stories, that is, I've been joined by his great colleagues, Terry Lane, 
his assistant Jean James and the stalwart technician Barry McLaughlin. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought I was the voice that was never this heard. Is one, this again. is one of our. <laughs> he was actually mouthing that. <laughs> Were you the one who knew all about the movies, and Peter just relied on you? Uh, to a certain extent, yes. Um, Peter and I were of an age, As a matter of fact I was older so I could boss him around a bit I guess. Um, we grew up um, in the 30s and 40s when in our opinion movies were movies and uh, I, I in those days was uh, quite a movie goer and I guess I had a, a bit of a retentive memory and uh, used to um, remember the names of stars of films and supporting actors and so forth. I hope uh, if Jeff Dugan's listening, he'll uh, forgive me because I'm no film buff. I mean, I didn't know the name of the third chorus girl in the second row or anything <laughs> like that, which Jeff did. But um, I, I was interested in films to a certain extent and, and um, Peter would mention a, a film and uh, I'd probably be able to come up with the leading lady or something like that. But the, he'd make, a, he'd make a, a, a suggestion and then there'd be this wonderful pause that only Peter was allowed to get away with and I always had this vision of you frantically signalling from behind the glass which you probably were. Uh, well yes and would, I, I would press the intercom which yes. of course didn't go to air but mm. uh, went to Peter and uh, Peter was a man who never wore headphones. I think I can only remember him wearing headphones on one or two occasions when he was having a, a two-way conversation with Len Grice in the newsroom mm, mm. and uh, even then he had to be urged to put it on. We'd try and switch the mic off and listen on the monitor speaker and then switch the mic on again but they'd both be talking at the one yeah. time quite often which made things a bit confusing. What about the practical jokes thing, those Barry? You, you've got something for us. Uh, this goes back uh, quite a few years and uh, it was back in the days when Jane Clark and uh, Andrew Potter were conducting the 8.30 program. Mm. At the same time, the Valhalla Theatre in Richmond was running, or about to run, a Marx Brothers festival. Right. And Peter received some publicity information from the Valhalla, and included in this was a Groucho Marx mask, um, the, the glasses, the moustache and nose and so forth. Yeah. We decided that it might be an idea to, to give Jane a bit of a start when she came down for the 7.30 chat. When Jane was nicely settled in to her chair, Peter decided to give her this surprise and this is what happened. 26 to 8, folks. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought that had... Uh, um, uh, Jane Clark is here. I thought that had uh, gone, you know, for six, that one. I hadn't heard of it lately. Oh, the singing telegram mm, on the scholarship. Mm, mm. Jane, no, the, oh, no, not that. Oh, that's a good look. No, the uh, singing telegram. Um, uh, a few here have had Churchill scholarship and so forth. Mm, it, mm. Didn't do much good, but still. It's um, 26 to 8. Jane, go on, speak. Oh, well, you, you know, if you're dipping down under places, well, well, you know, I'm not sure what you're doing. <laughs> go on, speak. Good morning, Peter. Good day. <clears throat> on, on the front line this morning we at got 9 o'clock. lined up. <laughs> If you could get out from underneath the table, I'd feel a lot more comfortable. At nine o'clock, Andrew Potter <coughs> is talking to Dr Eric Westbrook, who retires next week as the Director of the Ministry of Arts. In fact, I think he retires on Friday. He's recently, if you, uh, if you read in the uh, papers yesterday, had some pretty scathing things to say about the mentality of some of uh, Victoria's plannings. We'll have him on the program today at nine. He'll be talking to Andrew Potter. And let's see... <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha! 
books. <laughs> Beg your pardon, everybody. That had nothing to do with me. That was Pierre. Text her for the week, that did. <laughs> Sorry, love. Um, uh, I should have uh, been a later. But I know you're a good sport, that's why I can do it. But, um, and the second thing that Andrew will be looking at will be the uh, latest contribution to the continuing war over the effects of cholesterol. Oh, <laughs> I, I had no idea. I had no idea a Marx Brothers face would do this, you know. I'm Where sorry, did you sorry. get that? Oh, somebody sent it. They're doing a Marx Brothers festival out at the, Wall of the Valhalla. You know the uh, North Richmond Centre? You all shouldn't doing... put that on somebody oh, at 7.30 in the morning. You're sitting though. here sounding very serious. No, and... but I thought it would cheer your day up, you know, because you, you reckon you had a rough sort of a week. So I thought, no. I told you that privately. I'm going to tell you my problems privately. You heard who instigated the whole thing, so you can go out and beat him on the yes, head now. No, no more hugs for Baz. That's <laughs> it. It's all over between us, Barry. <laughs> anyway, Jane, that was the Jane and Pete show. Oh, the, the Pete and Jane show. Oh, well, yeah. Anyway, that was our bit. <laughs> That's absolutely precious. We were talking about um, breaking Peter up. Um, oh, yes. He adored breaking up other people, but you had to be very careful about the tricks you played on him. And But he, on not occasions, was broken up. And um, on this particular occasion, he was talking about um, something at a Brisbane Yacht Club where they'd been having um, parades of skimpy underwear and uh, businessmen's luncheons or something like that that he was found most intriguing because he loved this sort of thing. He loved to think about it and to sort of embroider it and all that sort of that idea. So he said to me on this occasion, come in and uh, as he, the record's playing, he said, uh, think of some yachting terms. So I'm standing there, as I always was, off mic, wondering whether I should stay or whether I should bolt for the door because he loved to trap you in the studio and ask you a pointed question, knowing that you'd have to say something and he'd trap you. <laughs> So he said, think of some yachting terms. So then he talked about the yacht club and the skimpy underwear and the fact that there'd been an inquiry or something. And then he said to me, and what do you think of that? And I said, oh, there'd be some amazing cases of gunnel bum. Jane! <laughs> Jane, he said, you amazed me. And that was one of the best occasions where I actually took the wind out of his sails, to use another yachting term. Um, quite, quite nicely. I was really quite pleased because he was most impressed by that. What about you, Terry? Because, I mean, we're looking at 19 years of broadcasting now and your, your association with Peter was, was relatively new. The end of 1976 was the, the first time that I had to go into the studio with him. Oh, you which, see, that comment, had to go into the studio with him. I in, in had people behind me pushing me into the studio. I know how Daniel felt and, uh, and I got much the same treatment. Uh, you go in and uh, it was all... It actually, it continued this way. I, of course, I... I, from the end of 76 until uh, the uh, round about October 77, I used to go in daily and talk to Peter, and then started again when I came back to 3LO for the second time in the morning. And it was always the same. You, you didn't know what it was going to be like, and, uh, and I would go in there and say, uh, how are you today, Peter? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it never got any better. It never changed, except uh, that... Um, uh, I, was, I, I suppose that the, the impact was somewhat softened because uh, he used to say, uh, I would hear him, I, I'd be driving in and I'd hear mm. him say, uh, oh, I must tell Terry that, mm. uh, well, we must, I must talk to Terry about that. And that made it a lot easier then. But every morning I went down the stairs in fear and trepidation, knowing that we were going to walk this perilous tightrope again of ad-libbing on radio. And, 
it was it, it was a nightmare. In fact, it was one of the most exhausting and intimidating things mm -hmm. that I had to do. Also, one of the most rewarding, obviously, because people would talk to you about it and say how wonderful it was and uh, and what's Peter like. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, it uh, it there was more tension in those few minutes after half past seven every morning than in anything else. It'd be easier to interview the Queen than, <laughs> than to swap witticisms with Evans in the morning. It seems odd, though, to consider that Peter told somebody once that he thought the highest rating breakfast program you could possibly have was an automatic clock and music, and I suspect he was serious about that. His rating gene was always a surprise to him, in a sense, because he was doing something he loved. Mm. Right from the very beginning, I think, when the ratings first started, the ABC wasn't considered to be in any way popular and that sort of thing. Then they started the ratings, and lo and behold, Peter Evans and The Breakfast Show are on top. And the commercial stations, I'm quite sure, just couldn't believe it. When people have asked me why was he so popular, the answer was because uh, he was doing something quite extraordinary that no other broadcaster has ever done, and that is he was living his life in front of the microphone. Mm -hmm. And people would say to me, what's he like? And I would say, what you hear is what you get, which is what there is. That, uh, uh, and, and people were mystified. They couldn't believe that a person would actually sit in front of a microphone and engage people all over Australia and on the shortwave service in his life so that uh, we always knew what irritated him, what amused yeah. him, we knew what his latest joy or disappointment was, we knew about his loves, uh, we, we knew where he was living, we knew the difficulties that he was having with the body corporate <laughs> <laughs> um, we, uh, and the arguments over what he could or couldn't plant in his garden and of course it was typical of him that whatever the other two people in the body corporate said could be planted in the garden was exactly what he didn't want to. I think they wanted natives so therefore he wanted exotics or vice versa and it didn't really matter. You, you just knew as a matter of principle that he was going, going to grow something in his garden that the others weren't. Now, the extraordinary thing was that uh, uh, he went on doing that day after day so that every breakfast time it was like having another person in the family who was telling you what was going on in his life. And where most of us, to a certain extent, are acting when we go on the radio, we're pretending to be something else. We're projecting a persona which is different from the, the real person within. Peter never did that, and uh, he, he just sat there in front of the microphone, talked to himself and to the listeners, and uh, engaged us in his life. Now, uh, it was because of that that uh, he was popular because he was different. He was the, he was the only person who wasn't... Uh, the odd thing was, you see, he wasn't being a personality, hmm. and therefore he was the only true personality that you could listen to. Did he, in his own mind, lie about things? My children once asked him that. He, he was at our place for a meal and my children said to him, uh, how, how do we know when you're lying and telling the truth? And he said, don't ask me, I don't know. Goodbye, beside the cookie. 
local council in Great Yarmouth is seeking technical assistance who will spend the summer sampling ice cream for more than 50 stands on the seafront. Oh, that's a job for me. I mean, all I'd have to do would be say, Peters, uh, second, Norgan Vars. Well, second, Norgan Vars are all second with me because they make such a loud noise about their ice cream. People who have to make loud noises about their ice cream must be second. But Peters, mmm, delicioso. Norgan Vars is all right, but you have to put a polar suit on to go into one of their parlours to eat the damn stuff. And stop sending me pamphlets, Norgan Vars. My interest in paper products is absolutely nil. But um, cartons of ice cream, well, it's a different matter. But Peter's is still the best, I have to be honest. 14 to 7. He was the great... I don't know whether this is uh, dishonouring uh, the memory, but he was one of the great... Paola um, conjurers of, of the ABC, the only person who could get away with it. But what always astonished me was his monumental ingratitude because one day he was there. Do you remember him, Barry, saying he, he said, uh, why don't cars come with pumps anymore? I want a pump for my car. What if, what if I get a flat tyre somewhere and I haven't got a pump? I really need a pump. Now, I don't want anybody to send me a pump. I don't want you to just give it to me. I'm prepared to pay for it. I just want somebody to tell me where I can get one of these pumps. And he proceeded to describe the pump in minute detail. The next day, a pump arrived, gift-wrapped, bow, the whole works. He undid it on air and he said, that's not the sort I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> but he gave you fair chip too, Jean. I mean, you've got a piece for us. I mean, poor love, you, you took an awful lot from that lad. <laughs> oh, well, I suppose I did, but I gave a bit back now and again, just once in a while, not much. I don't know her bra size. In fact, I wouldn't presume to ask. But uh, according to her audible scope, uh, it's a good week for lifting herself. That's... Uh, that's, uh, <laughs> dare I say it, Jean's forecast. Uh, don't let other people interfere with your peace of mind. That is, don't let the unit get you down. And take advantage of every opportunity. Oh, she does that. Sure enough. Don't brood over your condition. Good heavens. she in a condition? I don't think she's in a condition. And all your troubles are behind you now. <laughs> I think that's lovely. Uh, come on, Jean, face the music. All your troubles are behind you, and you need a lift this week, so buy yourself a new suspender belt or something. Look at that, on the back. Jean has just fainted. Bring her around, loosen the clothing. I mean, uh, 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 yeah. but it is. It, it's a funny place to all these naked bodies on the back of an inflatable boat. Is it a play on words? Oh, maybe. Uh, yes, Jean pretends not to see those sort of things. Yeah, poor old Jean's in the tears today. Uh, all certain things went on yesterday, which I will not mention, of course. We're just praying at the moment. Make changes in your associations at the weekends, it says here, Jean. So get away from them horses, or whatever it is you do at the weekends. Well, it's work in the garden, mostly, isn't it? Yes, I think so. A new attitude could be beneficial, so a little more respect, perhaps. That's right. And a bit more promptness on the telephone. Jim says you're never there when he wants you. <laughs> it's all right. I didn't say that, boss. She's all right. A new attitude could be beneficial. Take no risks where your reputation is concerned. Could you imagine Jean taking any risks with her reputation? Good heavens. 
Oh, dear, 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 dear. No, there's a girl takes no risks. She's got more locks on the door than... Good, and takes an hour for her to open them. <laughs> That's if she lets you in at all. Which is, you know, half a dozen of one and six of the other. Right, Jean. The phones will be going now full of sympathy for you and saying, how dare he be unkind to you and, and, and why don't you hit him and all that sort of business. Uh, I've got a cold front moving somewhere here. No, it's nothing to do with Jean. Poor Jean. It was a case of surviving if you worked with Peter, wasn't it? It was definitely a case of surviving. You didn't ever take anything for granted. Ever. Barry's memory has been doing wonderful things while we were hearing about your slight problems that morning. There was a time, and it had something to do with Jonesy, yeah. when, when the Evans was... His equilibrium wasn't quite what it normally was. The, the most famous unheard voice of all. Uh, Jonesy, of course, was one of the original two operators who worked with Peter Rod from the inception of the, his breakfast session. And um, I was also working an early morning shift this particular day and was down having a bit of a yarn to Jonesy. And Peter decided to tell one of his cornier stories. And um, this concerned two gentlemen walking down the road and Pierre said, Mon Dieu, Henri, here come my wife and my mistress. And Henri says, Mon Dieu, Pierre, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> and Evans, of course, just faded up his music, yeah. which wasn't there because Jonesy had closed the Grammo fader and he'd pushed off a tape with some raucous laughter on it. <laughs> and poor old Pete was nonplussed for a few minutes, <laughs> or a few moments anyway. The, the little news items that he used to read came mm. out of Punch. That's right. And mm. he used to recycle the captions of, uh, uh, of the cartoons from Punch. And one became, uh, one just went into his vocabulary and it came up time and time again and I don't know whether anybody ever knew what he was talking about, uh, but he would say, as one hippopotamus uh, would say to the other, it feels like Friday. Yeah. Now that came from a, a punch cartoon with yeah. two hippopotamuses up to their nostrils in the mud and one saying to the other, I don't know, it always seems like Friday to me. <laughs> And uh, so that that became part of his repertoire. The other thing that I have to confess that I never understood was why the gong at 13 minutes past and 13 minutes to. Well, no. that uh, I think originated from uh, one of the other announcers or supervisors. Uh, I have a feeling it may have been John Sloan. It, it, it was Sloan. John Sloan, yeah. And uh, he, uh, I, I suppose... It, whether he always seemed to finish a record at 13 past or was about to start one at 13 past and he always seemed to say 13 past 6 or 7 whatever well, I think it actually was our programs it was our programs Barry at one, I remember when I first joined here I thought there's such odd times they start programs and, and things would begin at 13 mm. minutes past the hour and I could never see any particular valid reason for it and, and I think it was picked up by the announcers and then Pete started using yeah. it. He, he always accompanied it with a gong. Yeah, and then, then it would be, uh, it, it was sort of part of the language after that, I think. Yeah. It took years, you know, to, to get Peter to put himself on show. It was with amazement a couple of years ago that we said, you're joking, really? Peter had agreed to do an outside broadcast, which for many of us is not a comfortable experience anyway, sitting there like a, the proverbial goldfish. 
But you two, Barry and Jean, were out there at the crack of dawn at places like the Royal Melbourne Show and the zoo. The zoo was a good one, wasn't it? He really loved that. Yes, the first zoo, bro zoo outside broadcast was the one that Peter enjoyed most of any. I mean, he complained, he complained, he'd carry on at the taxi driver, he'd make everybody around just as uncomfortable and as happy as himself, and we're thinking, just keep calm, Peter, keep calm. But I think the key to the zoo, well, was in fact a key. He was really delighted that we had a key to the zoo and we were going to unlock the gates and let oh. ourselves into the zoo and it all fitted in with going up the Amazon and trekking in darkest Africa. It was wonderful and he really, really did enjoy that first zoo. Well, the second one was great too, but the first one was fun and we had our torches and we're going down the path at the zoo. And hearing and all the animals wake oh, up. because amazing mm. place to be because mm. there's screeches and squawks and of course we could develop a wonderful fantasy about I wonder what got out in the night. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> One of the more prosaic outside broadcasts really took us back quite a number of years and I, I really remember this and we all said how did he wangle it. He was invited, remember, to go on some special... It was the delivery of the first big, I don't know, it was a jumbo, jumbo jet? Jumbo, it was. Mm. Yes. Jumbo. Yes. And Pete yes. was, was on board. This is what it sounded like. Thank you, Simon, very much indeed. And I must admit, I am high over the Pacific Ocean. Ha 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 ha. Don't jump to conclusions coming into Sydney. Yes, we're having a wonderful trip. It's been a smooth one all the way through. Well, I'll let the, um, I'll let the skipper later on and give you the details. It's uh, smooth to me. Some people, um, some people were even sleeping all the way through. We tried it, Stan and myself, but um, our time clocks are out of sync, I think. Mine is, anyway. Uh, you see, the trouble with Stan is he spent all his time on the beach at Waikiki, and I spent all my time... Um, uh, I won't tell you the name of the drink yet, I'll save that for later. It's got a huge chunk of pineapple under cherry in, uh, and it's made of about four different sorts of rum topped up with pineapple juice. And I might add, very little pineapple juice. That's to the first record. Oh, by the way, we've been up... Uh, the reason we haven't slept tonight is we've been up with a delivery. <laughs> it's the flight, of course. Back to music. How many times have you heard him... Open up the envelope. Ah, oh, this is from Jet Set Tours, advertising their um, their tour to Tahiti. Uh-uh. The tickets have fallen out again. <laughs> the tickets <laughs> always fill The tickets always fill out. Yes, British Airways, Qantas, always somebody had got at the tickets before he did. Uh, 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 ooh, got a couple of new books today. Cathay Pacific have come to the party. They've Kung Hei Fat Choid, and there's a paper here which is an absolute disgrace. It, uh, it's not good for me in the morning, that sort of thing. It's uh, nine past. I think I'll have a Kung Hei Fat Choid sweet, sweetie. Yes, Cathay Pacific, but there's no flight bag. I look, I, I hate to be petty, but you didn't send them in a flight bag this year, and the tickets fell out again. And please, I still do not forgive you. For you'll be bonkers if you don't stop at honkers. I mean, I can never forgive that. Never. Never. <coughs> I love the name of your group, incidentally. What's this Swire group? Cafe Pacific, the Swire group. Have you ever heard of that one? Oh, oh very nice. Butterfield and Swire of Hong Kong. Ah, you've had dealings. You all have dealings with them for? They... Laundry people? <laughs> Do they run those trams in honkers, do they? 
Is that the way they run their planes? <laughs> Runs everything. Oh, my goodness. Oh, very solid tongue. Not mean to annoy. Maxwell Smart is back, incidentally. He had his encounter with Tong yesterday. Claw! Not claw! Claw! <laughs> Not claw! Claw! Still looks as fit as ever. And 99 still looks as young and pretty. Still, never changes 99. I'd hate to see 99 now. She must be about 150. <laughs> Oh, and did you see Dad's army last night? <laughs> Couple of old... I don't know what they do on the commercial stations. I think they take bits out of several shows and shove them all together. Doesn't matter if there's any continuity of story or anything, but... Um, ah, yes. Sha, lay over there on the slab. <laughs> I think they've all been on the slab now, haven't they? All that lot. Been and gone. John the Measure of the last. Yes, yeah, part of the Swire group, eh? Oh, incidentally, other rats. The creature Borgia. Oh, she'd have to be one, yes. William Shakespeare, Pope John Paul, Jimmy Carter, Mozart, Marlon Brando, and Prince Charles. Kung Hei Fat Choi. Yes, you're the rat. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Vulcan is angry. Vulcan is angry. Something I've said. Oh, dear. I'm, I'm sorting myself out yet. Apparently we didn't have a mailman yesterday. because there's stuff all over the place this morning. Thank you, Mary Helen Farrell, is it? Mary Helen, Cathay Pacific. Hmm, to Mary Helen. But, darling, why is it that the tickets always fall out? Is it because they always go sideways? It's, um... 13 past five. Trouble is, they all look the same to me. What sort of pudding is this? It's what? Yorkshire pudding? Now, come, 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 come. It's what? Yorkshire pudding, you say? <laughs> it's pudding, I grant you. Some sort of pudding, but not Yorkshire pudding. Nay, nay. The real Yorkshire pudding's a poem in batter. To make one's an art, not a trade. Now listen to me, for I'm going to tell thee how first Yorkshire pudding were made. A young angel on furlough from heaven came flying above Ilklamour, and the angel, poor thing, got a cramp in her wing and came down at an old woman's door. And the old woman smiled and said, Eh, it's an angel. Well, I am surprised to see thee. I've not seen an angel before, but that welcome. I'll make thee a nice cup of tea. And the angel said, Eee, thank you kindly, I will. Well, she had two or three cups of tea, three or four Sally Lunds and a couple of buns. Angels eat very lightly, you see. Then the old woman looked at the clock and said, By gum, he's due home from mill, is my Dan. You get on with your tea, but you must excuse me. I must make pudding now for old man. Then the angel jumped up and said, Give me a bowl, flour and water and eggs, salt and all, and I'll show thee how we make puddings in heaven for Thomas and Peter and Paul. Then the old woman gave her the things and the angel just covered her wings and said, Hush. Then she tenderly tickled the mixture with spoon like an artist would paint with his brush. 
she mixed up that pudding with heavenly magic. She played with her spoon on that dough. Just like Paderewski would play the piano, or Chrysler would twiddle his bow. And the old woman whispered, I reckon, dear angel, the clouds that I see in yon skies, so fleecy and foamy, is batter for pudding, for saints feasting in paradise. It's mixed with the rain and it's stirred with a rainbow and baked in the beautiful sun. And the angel kept stirring and smiled as she answered, and when a star drops, then it's done. But joking aside, said the angel, the secret of puddings made here or above is not in the flour and the water, but mixing it. See that you mix it with love. And when it were done, she put it in the oven and she said to old woman, goodbye. Then she flew away, leaving the first Yorkshire pudding that ever were made. And that's why it melts in the mouth like the snow in the sunshine, as light as a maiden's first kiss, as soft as the fluff on the breast of a dove. Not elephant's leather like this. The expression Evans the wireless comes from the practice in Wales where everybody in a town is called either, either Evans or Morgan to identify them by their profession. So the baker would be Morgan the bread or in yeah, the, yeah. the, uh, the right. wonderful under milk wood, yes. the, the man who plays the organ in the chapel is Organ Morgan. Yes. And uh, so it was for that reason that he was called Evans the wireless because he was preeminently the wireless Evans. One wonders now, of course, what on earth management are going to do without Peter sticking little pins into them and annoying them. I mean, it was legion, his attitude towards those above us, for example. Right, 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 right. And they're having a meeting today, are they? Do they have a meeting yesterday? And they'll have a meeting tomorrow, and the next day, and the next. Well, I mean, they've got to do something, haven't they? It's like putting a, a testing device in the studio for the air conditioning. It doesn't fix anything, but they're doing something. Looks good on a minute, you see. Let's go and have breakfast at the Hilton International. I believe it's very good, and we can get it off petty cash. Some of our bosses go there, you know, for their meetings. Uh, one, of, one said to me the other day, I'm going to the Hilton for breakfast so that I can get some work done. <laughs> well, as soon as he comes in here, the phones start to ring and he can't get any work done. Cool, I thought this was for me. It says, new man at top for ABC. And I thought, ah, at last they have come to the party and I see it's another new position created I thought we were, um, we were um, uh, weren't we going to half the staff or get rid of all those positions they keep creating new ones does it mean that us at the bottom here have to quake in our shoes do we hmm. well, I suppose they've got to put people somewhere use different tactics with higher ups oh, does that mean I've got to suck up to them Gain that promotion that means much to you. Do you think they'd make a position for me in Sydney? Do you think they'd make one for me? A new position? Hmm. Like advisor to the president or something, or um, the chief's uh, memo carrier, or someone like that. Hmm. Now is the right time to go ahead much faster. <laughs> uh, perhaps it's the best place 
and the best time to apply for a lighthouse position. There was a bit of repetition, but the stories were altered and changed and rewritten in his mind and add a new fact was added or a new piece a new twist and stories usually came up in fact people have said to me um i've never known anyone who can tell the same story so many times and always make it sound funny or different mm. because they knew they were the same stories frequently but they were altered or they had a new twist peter was there, there were a number of things that he was. I mean, you could say that he was a misogynist, he was a misanthrope, he was certainly a cynic. He always uh, suspected people's motives, no matter uh, how pleasant the, the deed that they had done might be, he was always suspicious of their motives. In fact, he appreciated a definition of a cynic that I gave him one day, which is unfortunate in this context, but uh, I said that a cynic is a person who, when he smells flowers, looks for the funeral, and, uh, and, and Peter thought that that really did... Uh, that, that was... Uh, he... Uh, he accepted that as the definition of a cynic, but he was a pedant, and uh, it was. Uh, and we got a lot of our pleasure out of uh, pursuing pedantry. Now, if there was one thing that drove Peter yeah. up the wall, it was anybody who used a qualifying adjective with uh, with, with unique. unique. And, uh, you know, I, I could hear him saying, totally unique. I mean, either it is unique or it isn't unique. Either you're pregnant or you're not. You can't be a little bit pregnant. You can't be a little bit unique. It's not uh, not somewhat unique or very unique or or totally unique. And, and uh, so he would go on about that. You know, Peter was a very clever person, which is something we mustn't overlook. He had very. a... He had, was a most erudite individual. Um, I, you see, part of his humour, which uh, we loved, was um, he would say something, as you would well know, and you're mucking around in a bathroom and going out to a kitchen, and it would be two or three minutes later you would get the point of Peter's story and you would suddenly start shrieking with laughter because he was very subtle, often. Very subtle, mm. very clever, a fantastic vocabulary. Mm. And uh, he really did love words. He loved English, he loved words, he loved reading, he loved to embroider stories. I mean, he did. He was just the great raconteur. One of the reasons we sort of touched on when um, Terry was making comment about Peter being such an open book, well, up to a certain extent he was, but in a way he was rather like um, Ernest Hemingway who said you cannot write about things you don't know about. And although, as you said, it was embroidered, Peter basically talked about things with which he was reasonably familiar. Indeed he did, yes. I mean, he would never have pretended to be um, a great cook, for example, because he was pretty rotten, I understand. No, in fact, that's not true. Really? He was an excellent cook. However, How I do you know? How do I know? Mm. Well, a long time ago, when in happier times, I suppose I should say, in happier times, there were a group of us here at the ABC who were regular visitors to his home. Mm. And uh, the hospitality was really excellent. Um, his wife was a wonderful cook mm. and he was a wonderful cook but I must say that if he were, if he did do the cooking and produce some masterpiece that he didn't do the dishes afterwards oh, no. I mean the kitchen would be littered with uh, every pot and pan mm. probably available and uh, someone else did the dishes mm. but uh, Peter would and could whoop up quite um, lovely food if well, you Well, you surprised me. You know, I had this... Uh, I mean, there was the comment that he lived on... Um, I think we were listening to a tape this morning. We may have used it, I can't recall, where he said that he lived on cheese sandwiches for six months. Oh, well, that was, in fact, after his his mm. marriage failed mm. and, uh, and he didn't like to look after himself um, and he didn't like to cook. And I think that was when he lived on the cheese sandwiches. Earlier on, he really did um, like his food and lived... Uh, and 
uh, entertained mm. very, very graciously. <laughs> so, there's something you've learned? Yes, it certainly is. I mean, I... I oh, well, you have surprised me. Um, did he eat in the studio, though? No. No. People, you see, people used to say... Gosh, Peter Evans must have had a huge breakfast this morning. But I understood from you that he didn't eat in the studio or he didn't accept food until after the program was over. In fact, basically no food went into the studio. No mm. hot food ever went into the studio. And it was all a myth about him eating all the food. I mean, he did perhaps eat some of it afterwards, but only about twice did he ever have breakfast um, of something that had come into the studio or I think at, um, at a show outside mm. broadcast we did have wonderful breakfasts out there and he did in fact eat those but that would half a dozen times would be the the absolute maximum time that i had ever seen him eat in the studio mm. and no hot food in the studio and all the food that did come in and uh, there was really quite a lot of it over the years God, it was basically sure. given away yeah. it was all given away mm. um, we all benefited from the <laughs> um, from the food that arrived Oh, Grimaldi, Mr. Grimaldi has come to the ball. Isn't that wonderful? What, what, um, oh, hang on. That's Les. Yeah, well, yeah, but Les is Mr. Grimaldi. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought, I thought Mr. Grimaldi was Mr. Grimaldi. Well, there's one there for Barry, too. Lovely. Thank you, Mr. It's going to help me no end because I've got, I need some grease in my throat. Not that I suggest that your, your bacon and egg sandwiches are greasy by any means. But uh, will you um, do the honours, Yes. And who am I to thank on your behalf? Someone who brought you in flowers yesterday. Mm -hmm. some, lovely, some lovely gardenias, thank you. Gardenias. Didn't, why didn't you put one behind your ear? They're upstairs. Well, because you're know. not sure of which ear to put it behind. <laughs> That's right. Which mm. one should I put it behind? Uh, yes. Do you remember that lovely song of the 40s? Moonlight becomes... There's one here for you too, Mary. Moonlight becomes you. Isn't it goes, that a, it goes with your hair. No, but what about it? gardenias? Isn't it garden, moonlight and gardenias or something? What was that one called? Moonlight and roses. Well, lime juice or the little gin. <laughs> if taken in the right spirit. <laughs> Thank you for... Yes, and flowers. She got flowers... Dear, dear, dear. I don't know. You got bacon and egg sandwiches? Well, that's nothing to do with yesterday's flowers. I mean, I need one to keep going. Mr. Mr. Grimaldi, you confused me by your by your label here. But you're very, very, very sweet, Mr. I mean, oh, I beg your pardon. You're very kind, Mr. Grimaldi. You can't be sweet, can you? Thank you for you and all your staff. Where is he once again? Yeah, oh, did you see what um, Freud wrote about bring your own restaurants? Yeah, the you know the punch food uh, gourmet mm. expert um, Clement Freud, whose great grandson I think or grandson great grandson of the great Doctor yeah. from Vienna, Zygmunt. Anyway, he wrote about Australian cuisine <laughs> in a rather humorous vein. I'm afraid I don't know what he had. He must have had his food sent over from London. I don't think he ever ate any of it. He said we're the country with the most beautiful food in all the world and do absolutely nothing with it. There's no such thing as a national dish, and there isn't really when you come to think of it, is there? Steak and eggs. Oh. Oh, and the old steak and eggs. You can eat steak and eggs in every, every lorry driver's cafe in Britain. Oh, yeah. I don't think we have a national dish. I suppose it would have to be something seafood. It would be like mud crab or something like that. No, that couldn't be classified as national because it's only regional, isn't it? Mm. 
No, I don't think we've got a national dish. We just copy everyone else. Anyway, thank you, Mr. Grimaldi. I thought you were Mr. Grimaldi. Sorry about that. Anyway, that's too much for my nose, but the throat might. What's the lady's name of the flowers, incidentally? And uh, tell them that they're still looking very well. I haven't shaken them once yet. I said to somebody, how do you clean them? And they said, well, you just shake them. <laughs> shake them out the window. <clears throat> they're very, very real looking anyway. They're much better than... The, you remember the, the first artificial flowers, those terrible plastic things? They were awful, weren't they? I still know, pe know people who adorn their houses with them. Great storyteller in demand over a dinner table. Peter had the facility to eke out a story. Very often over a morning, if you started listening at five, you would have known he was telling the same thing with variations and very amusing ones by seven o'clock. Now, here's a classic example. Here's a mystery name, Barry. Uh, uh, let's let the listeners play with this one. They'll think I've made it up. Who, what, and where was Ishkabibble? 36 past six, the time. Who was, what, or where is Ishkabibble? Oh, I've got a pain right in the middle of my shoulder blades today. Uh, I was in an unfortunate position overnight, and I got stuck there, I think. Oh, by the way, it's 42 at Parabadu. That's genuine. Only one morning, I'm showing young maidens the way down at Whittingham Fair. Wrong tune. 13 to 7. I think he was employed for mucking around in the band. We're talking about Ishka Bibble. Somebody suggested he was Ishka Bibble's brother, uh, but he was a member of the K. Kaiser band, as far as I remember. Had a fringe and used to stand up in the trumpet section and mess around a bit, but was a fine musician. Someone suggests also he came to Brunswick Heads, New South Wales, and bought land, uh, a syndicate uh, headed by a Hollywood star. The only syndicate I remember was that one headed by a television star who came up to buy rice paddies or to buy land for rice development. Whether he still has them or not, I don't know. I think, um, I think the novelist fisherman chap, he had land interests in America, in, in Australia too, didn't he, up north somewhere? What was his name? Uh, Zane Grey, didn't he have something up there? But, uh, no, there was a Hollywood quiz master. Uh, what was his name? Or is his name? I think he's still around. Do you know, Jean? I don't think he's the one over Tipperary. No, well, it may have been. He may have been. Uh... Anyway, um, Ishka Bibble is also a record, and Jean says that she will have the greatest pleasure in trying to find it. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you won't have much luck, Jean. Oh, I don't know, they might cooperate. <laughs> Ishka Bibble. You'll have to ask, um, ask uh, Marita. Marita. Marita knows where everything is. But if you ask some of the young ones over there, they wouldn't know what they only were talking about. Yes, he was a sort of a comedy muso act in Kay Kaiser's School of Musical Knowledge, as far as I can remember. Oh, Ernshine. It's just the name. Uh, somebody who's just, just Disney, I think he's mixing him up with uh, with um, some other character, which is a name rather like Ishkabibble. And it isn't Ishkabubble. Art. Link letter, right. Do you remember now? Yes, the territory, though, isn't it? Oh, well, it was up there somewhere. It was north of Melbourne. 
Jean's agreeing with me. For God, Jean. Oh, hang on, Barry's got some more info. What's up, Barry? Oh, Jean's agreeing with me. Yes, yes. That's a wonder, isn't it? I don't know how you hope to get promotion if you don't agree with me, Jean. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Pretend you're working three to seven the time, folks. No, actually, she works rather hard, Jean. But she doesn't know about Ishkabibble. It's all very well Peter having had and, and somehow miraculously managed to keep a, a fairly private life mm. um, and confuse people utterly as to really what he did on his, in his hours off and where he went at weekends, etc. But you've managed pretty well yourself and I think that you were, you were the utmost challenge to Peter because he, he kept asking you personal questions which you refused to ask. I mean, for example, why did you live on your own? Yes. Yes. And you finally came up with an answer for him, which I thought was marvellous. Do you want to hear the answer? Yes, I do. Oh, well, I mean, I'm not going to answer why, apart from the fact that I choose to. <laughs> Live alone, that is. But it was always a challenge. Peter didn't like... Uh, well, a challenge was to be challenged. Mm. And the bigger the challenge, the bigger the prize or the bigger the victory, if he was able to find out a little bit of information or break the challenge or something like that and uh, yes he always was always questioning me he didn't think anyone should live alone he really didn't like he didn't like living alone himself mm. and he couldn't understand how anyone could live alone voluntarily voluntarily mm. and like it i pick and choose jean i do the ones i choose to do and the ones i don't choose to do i don't do it's 16 past six and i wish you wouldn't write me love notes in code <laughs> i know this is you i mean it's signed it's jean not you my must writing. Oh, isn't it? Hmm. anyway there's a lady jean who dresses me as darling and she's rather shy and can't come up to the couldn't come up to the caravan at the last outside broadcast which you mustn't feel that, Maywin. What's this? Shall I have a few guys and something from moustaches? Some. I'd have to. I can't work it out. Hmm. Anyway, I thank you for your note and the card. And why did you buy me my own T-shirt? <laughs> it's very nice of you. And I can't stand the ruddy things. <laughs> oh, it's very picturesque. Oh, I know, I know. But I can't stride around the zoo on Christmas Day wearing a, my own T-shirt. Why I? not? Um, uh, it is open, you say, on Christmas oh, yes, Day? yes, yes. Oh, yeah. Of course, that's a, an answer for my Christmas Day blues, isn't it? Mm. I can wander around the, uh, around the zoo. Now, what's this long-winded explanation you've got for me, Jean, about a, a, lovely, oh. a lovely lady who would like me to send her a birthday call and you told her that I couldn't? No, or something? no, no, no. Let me, Let me explain. Oh, God, but here we not, go. But not now. Right? While you're playing oh, 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 is it too embarrassing? Or don't you well, want people to know how long-winded you are? It's not a long-winded explanation. It's I, always, I always go like this when Jean's explaining something, and I think, I wonder what the bottom line is, you know, and three records later. <laughs> 17 and a half to six. And you haven't rubbed my chest lately, Jean. Oh, sorry about that. It hasn't been chest-rubbing weather. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Oh, and Pat's been on the blower. Oh, good. This morning or what? No, 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 I got oh, that yesterday. Oh, oh, hang on, let me have a look at my horoscope, see if I'm going to have this lovely Doncaster dust sinus over Christmas. That'd be just about it, wouldn't it? Delve into work ahead. Are we doing that outside broadcast on the 4th of Jan or isn't that official yet? Yes, it's official. Hmm. Delve into the work ahead or your early... Get much accomplished. What? Uh, show. 
Vision for the future. Yes, I have vision for the future, all right. Stretches out ahead of me. Uh, you have a plan in mind to improve relationships, Jean, so that you did write that card. Uh, so discuss it with them and get good results. You see, if you discuss your, your love and affection with me instead of writing cards and then signing them Jean but a different spelling and then trying to convince me it's not you, you see, you... I'm a mess of contradictions. <laughs> You're a mess of... Uh, what? Oh, yeah. We're going on a diet soon. He was a curious mixture of, on the one hand, romantic. He could be extremely chivalrous and very gracious in his dealings with women. But on the other hand, he was essentially a misogynist. And but there's probably something in his life story that explains this. But one of the funniest mornings that I ever had with him was when I had made a startling discovery, <laughs> which was that Richmond Crompton, who wrote the William books where Peter and I had both learned our misogyny, was a woman. Oh, and I went down with this piece of information to impart to, uh, to Peter, and he wouldn't believe it. He refused to believe it because, uh, like me, he'd been brought up to, uh, uh, to believe that, um, that William was really, in a sense, the, the archetype of, of the boy. Mm. And, of course, he had the particular contempt that we all had for Violet Elizabeth Bott. Now, if you haven't read a William book, you won't know who Violet Elizabeth Bott was, but she She's was she was sort of William's girlfriend, and she used to say, if you won't let me play with the, with the outlaws, I'll scream and scream until I'm thick. Um, and... Uh, uh, and because William himself was such a misogynist, when uh, when he and the outlaws f decided that they were going to change their name, they were going to call themselves uh, Herr Hitler and the Nasties, William was William thought this was a very sissy, sissy name, Herr Hitler, so he changed it to him Hitler, him Hitler and the Nasties. Now, you, so you see that the, here was this little, this grubby little boy who was the, uh, the archetype of every grubby little boy and the prototype of every grubby male. And when I told Peter that Richmore Crompton, I just discovered that Richmore Crompton, who had written these books, was a woman, uh, he absolutely refused to believe it, and I had to produce documentary proof of the fact, because, like me, for the past, uh, well... For, for both of us, I suppose, for the past 40 or so years, we had uh, it had never occurred to us that this wonderful creation had come from the mind of, of all things, a woman. But the thing <laughs> is, the two of you probably devastated a large proportion of the male audience who would have been under the same mm. uh, the, illusion. The, there may not have been anybody else out there as ignorant as we were, I'm not sure. But... Um, so uh, anyway, that, that's a sort of a roundabout answer to your question of uh, of how would he have been as a Charles Boyer? Um, I, I'm not sure. He did love his girls, didn't he? I mean, I'm sure that all of the female members of staff, on occasions, have, have enjoyed what Peter used to call sexual harassment. I mean, he said to one poor reporter, didn't he? I'd love to be sexually harassed <laughs> by you. Oh yes, I think he was dying to be sexually harassed. <laughs> and there was the celebrated time when um, day after day, for it must have been more than a week, we discuss condoms um, until finally that was one occasion where management did say look I think we've heard enough about condoms so Peter uh, Peter explained how they were used during the Second World War by soldiers to keep water out of their rifle barrels and uh, it was watches and smuggle watches and, and smuggle watches and uh, yes there, there were all sorts of uses for them that you would never have thought of uh, and uh, and he kept thinking them up day after day day after day until finally somebody over, over there in St James decided that the world now knew all that it needed to know about condoms and the uses to which they could be put um, so sometimes 
times we did actually uh, spin out a joke for probably for a little longer than it was actually designed to go. Hearing Peter do the do the time calls reminds me of the more than one occasion where I've leapt out of bed with my heart beating. I oh, 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 it's it's ten past eight. Peter's just said it's ten past eight. And then in a little while, uh, as you were, it's ten past six. <laughs> <laughs> Greenwich Mean Time, yesterday we were talking of it. The French did complain, apparently, but you know what foreigners are. But, of course, we don't let those foreigners get in our way. I mean, they tried to call the English Channel the sleeve. Would you believe it? In French, of course. I mean, we couldn't allow things like that. It's rather like the North Sea being called the German Ocean. How dare they? Hmm. Yes, the French did kick a bit. It must have been a way back before Napoleon, wasn't it? When we started off the old Greenwich um, meantime, it was a way, of course, of measuring... Uh, the chief reason for it was navigational, of course, the me me of measuring longitude. Latitude's easy enough to measure with an angle. Sextant, um between the horizon and the sun or the moon or the stars, but um, that's if you know the time of the year and which hemisphere you're in, of course, which you should, if you're a good navigator. But with, um, with longitude, it was a bit different. You had to know the exact time, and you had to know where Greenwich mean. We had to start somewhere. I mean, they had to, do, had to start somewhere. I mean, they'd, you could have had uh, bath in meantime, couldn't you? Or Madagascan meantime, anything. Had to be a start somewhere. So, hmm. British, of course, to the forefront. Why not? Grab it for yourself in those days. None of this giving stuff away in those days. Just grab it. Don't forget your Valentine cards, incidentally. I'm sending one to Neva. Um, I shouldn't really say that, but Neva can't hear me. So she won't know. The trouble is, I have to put a note in it because she won't know what it's for. I don't think they send them over there. Uh, in fact, I don't think I saw Valentine. Oh, yes, I saw a few in England years ago, I think. But the pretty lace handkerchiefs and things like that were sent in those days. But she won't have the clue as to what it's all about, so I'll have to write something on it. Because you think somebody's mistaken, I've mistaken her birthday or something. So, there. I could put a pretty lace handkerchief in it. Good night. I thought of that. Right, out of the mouths of babes, The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole, aged 13 three quarters, by Sue Townsend. No relation to the Townsend of up the organisation, is he? I'm so impressed, because if she's related to the Townsend of up the organisation, it's going to be a rather fine bit of read. Looks as though it's going to be rather rude. Thirteen and a half year old boys are rather yucky, aren't they? Ugh! I remember being one myself. Oh, and I was a filthy little beast. Ugh. I had a diary when I was a nipper. I used to write in it, got up, had breakfast, met Black Hand Gang, passed rules and regulations for month. All present members made their imprint. <laughs> I kept one like that for ages. Kept it in the secret hideout. Uh, together with William and Ginger, and uh, it got wet in a thunderstorm. <laughs> All our goods got wet in the thunderstorm because we had this hideout in the woods. Actually, it was in a tree, and uh, the rainstorm didn't do it much good. <laughs> so there, there was all this sopping, soggy, 
gang property hanging up in this tree and several irate fathers storming around the place wondering where all their tools had gone and so forth. <sighs> the Black Hand Gang, of which I was president, founder, chief of Pacharampa, and uh, girl chaser. Oh, and, uh, and, and bike mechanic. Ah, uh, yes. Them's was the pre-scout days, them's what. I first disc then I discovered girls, and the woods faded to the back of my memory. Were the people who worked in the, the wee small hours who really did know Peter, knew what Peter looked like? Very few people, I think, actually knew what he looked like. I mean, they knew his voice, and lots of people appeared up the steps of Broadcast House out of the gloom and dropped packets of sausages or fish um, or any type of food stuff. I mean, he'd only need to mention, say, Chris. And boxes of Chris would arrive the next morning as if by magic. People just appeared out of the gloom, dropped something at the desk and disappeared. Very few people went into the studio. Very, very few people. And yet around about 8 o'clock when Peter would come out of the studio or a quarter to 8, he could be standing in the foyer and people could arrive and they wouldn't know it was Peter... Oh, Actually no, they there. wouldn't know. Mm. They wouldn't know. And, of course, he would try to put on... He'd put on funny voices and try to fool people and take fi take messages for himself. But then he usually would um, have to let them into the secret and give them a start or, you know, just surprise them by admitting who he was or turning on his proper voice. And then, of course, they knew instantly. 14 past five. Sorry, I meant that one. 14. 14. 14. 14 past five. Many thanks for a superb year. I thank you, Jennifer. But uh, uh, please don't send a telegram. I mean, write a note if you want to, or ring Jean, or stand on your head, but telegrams frighten me. I get scared when I see a telegram, because I always used to get called overseas by telegram. He used to say, Evans, you're needed at the front. Get off leave. So I used to get off her, better leave. Uh, Emily Leave, her name was. Miss Emily Leave, yes. Quarter past five. Bossy Boots and Bazza. Thanks for all year. Part of my life. Mary and Eric Black Cat of Carton. Ratty Toad, Badger and Mole. Sound like a perfectly sane family, don't they? Yes. Just how tight, Baz, huh? It's um, 16 and a half past five, the time. Incidentally, the zoo's open. I could spend the, the day at the zoo, couldn't I? I don't know, and the zoo's open on Christmas Day, so it's so Jean reckons. Melbourne Zoo in Healesville open daily over the holiday period from 9 to 5, including Christmas Day. So I could spend Christmas Day at the zoo just wandering around aimlessly, couldn't I? Yeah, that's a good idea. No, wandering alone through Melbourne Zoo on Christmas Day really was Peter's style. He was a, a solitary man with no immediate family in Australia. However, after his first heart attack, his daughter Neva did come out from Germany and spent a fortnight with her father. Also, thousands of letters and cards poured into 3LO from his other very special family, his listeners. Like us, they all hoped and prayed for Peter's return to health, but it just wasn't to be. At 5am, Friday, July the 19th, Rod McNeil made this sad announcement. 
It's uh, my sad duty this morning at this time to bring you the news that the ABC broadcaster Peter Evans died in Melbourne late last night. Peter, who I think many would know, was around the 57 mark, indeed turned 58 this week, had uh, undergone open-heart surgery in hospital on Wednesday in Melbourne. Uh, this followed uh, an earlier rapid deterioration in his condition last week. Peter Evans has, of course, been away from 3LO since he had a major heart attack in late April. And despite our hopes at many times in the period since, I'm sad to confirm this morning that the ABC broadcaster, Peter Evans, died in Melbourne late last night. A public funeral service was held for Peter at Melbourne's St Paul's Cathedral on Wednesday, July the 24th, 1985. Thousands came to pay their respects and to hear Terry Lane reflect on the life of a broadcaster who never knew just how many people admired him. Here is our text for the occasion. Nice, it's the only thing, said Ratty. Believe me, young mole, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, half so much worth doing as messing about in boats. Simply messing about, in or out of them, it doesn't matter. Nothing seems really to matter because that's the charm of it. Whether you get away or whether you don't, whether you arrive at your destination or whether you reach somewhere else, or whether you never get anywhere at all, you're always busy and you never do anything in particular. And when you've done it, there's always something else to do. It's no wonder that Peter loved the wind in the willows because nobody ever said it better than Ratty. Every morning we were privileged to go messing about in the mind of Evans, never getting anywhere, never doing anything in particular, always busy, but not caring if we arrived at our destination or at somewhere else altogether. And at a quarter to eight, you'd be hard pressed to remember where it was you'd started. You certainly would have no idea where you had been and you'd be pretty confused about where exactly you had arrived. But for those of us here today and for the thousands who are listening to this broadcast, that messing about in the mind of Evans wasn't just nice. For us, it was the only way to start the day. To work with Peter and to be identified with him in any way on air was to enjoy instant fame. You only have to ask Jeannie or Barry or Alan, Jonesy, Michael or Paula, what is the single question that they have been asked more than any other question by total strangers when they are first introduced to them? And I can tell you what they'll say, it was always the same. What is Peter Evans really like? Well, here's an attempt at an answer. First and foremost, he was exactly what he sounded like. There was no pretense or special performance for the microphone. He was exactly the man you heard. You may find that hard to believe that anybody could be so opinionated, cynical, pedantic, misanthropic and disgruntled. But by some miraculous alchemy of the spirit, he turned every one of those vices into a virtue. And the philosopher's stone, as it were, that changed the dross into the precious metal of Peter Evans was an amalgam of honesty and humour. Every day, Peter lived his life before the microphone. And that was what made him special, because it was like actually having another member of the family for breakfast, telling us about his joys and disappointments and sharing his jokes and his memories. 
Every morning we would go up the Amazon, around the body corporate, through the air conditioning system of Studio 300. We shared his profound disappointment when it was only 31 in Parabadu, and his intense pleasure when it was 42. If you don't know by now that the train from Adelaide is the overland and not the overlander, then you simply have not been paying attention. As Len Grice said to me earlier, Peter would have loved this, but he would never have come. <laughs> but not everything in Peter's life was perfect, as we know, because out of his honesty, he even shared with us the pain of his love for Neva, his daughter. And I think that there was not one of us who would not have done anything that we could to have healed the hurt. But of course it was beyond us. And his closest friends here today know that they had to cope daily with that difficult contradiction of the hard shell and the terribly tender and vulnerable interior. Peter was a pessimistic romantic. He was often disappointed but never surprised. Peter Evans was also, quite simply and unequivocally, the best broadcaster I have ever heard. He had a beautiful voice, he had an easy and natural way in the studio that I admired and envied. And Mary summed up the esteem in which Peter is held when she said on Monday, we even listened to him when we weren't on duty. And there's no higher tribute that one broadcaster can pay another. No matter how outrageous or infuriating he was, we came back every day eager to hear more. Now sometimes you'll remember he even surprised himself when he allowed his stream of consciousness, consciousness meanderings to be sidetracked by something even more outrageous, inconsequential and absurd than the mainstream. And do you remember how he used to come up to a dead end and he'd sheepishly apologise and say, sorry folks. And you'd always want to call back to him through the wireless, don't apologise, it was marvellous. Well, here he is at the final sidetrack and I fancy I can hear him saying, sorry folks. And we all want to say, don't apologise. It was marvellous. But you never did get around to joining Procrastinators Anonymous. Peter once said he wouldn't mind crossing the bar with these lines of Tennyson. Sunset and evening star, and one clear call for me. And may there be no moaning of the bar when I put out to sea. Twilight and evening bell, and after that the dark. And may there be no sadness of farewell when I embark. For though from out our bourne of time and place the flood may bear me far, I hope to see my pilot face to face when I have crossed the bar. Farewell, Peter Evans. Go to your lighthouse across the bay, and God be with you. Amen. So long to you, got to be on the road again. So long to you, got to hitch up my own again. It's been great to meet you right good company and right good cheer now then my lads anyone like the company a world life is free i can
can say night and day nothing ever worries me night are cold night are cold maybe i am grown i'm old yet i try and the pals i meet make it good for me and i comrades farewell what we never meet again the memory I've always been a rover, summer and winter too, wandering the wide world over, ramping the whole life through. But when I start my journey at the dawn of another day, I gave a health to comrades. Of the great highway. So long to you. Got to be on the road again. So long to you. Got to hitch up my load again. It's been great to meet you here. Right good company and right good cheer. Now then, my lads, anyone like to come with me? Night and day, nothing ever worries me. Nights are cold, maybe I am growing old. Yet I thrive, and the pals I meet make it good to be alive. Comrades, farewell, what do we never meet again? The memory. News is coming up, folks, and uh, I bet they say total anarchy again, which is bad English. It's rather like quite unique, which is also bad English. But uh, I'm afraid that's the way the language goes these days. Have a nice day, people. It's a quarter to eight.